With the WannaCry ransomware attacks hopefully in the rearview mirror for most organizations impacted, what are the most important lessons other entities should learn from this crisis? I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee, Executive Editor of Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with security expert Doug Copley, a former healthcare CISO and Chief Privacy Officer. Doug will be speaking to us about some of the critical lessons that healthcare entities, as well as other organizations in other sectors, should learn from the recent WannaCry attacks. So now, Doug, we've obviously seen ransomware attacks before. In fact, in the U.S., healthcare sector organizations have increasingly found themselves being a target of such attacks. So what's new about these WannaCry attacks that should ring an alarm for all entities in the healthcare sector as well as in other sectors? So what WannaCry highlighted for many organizations was their patch management process. And so often I speak to organizations about the basics, right? Doing doing the basics right and doing them well and doing them efficiently. And one of those is patching. And so in this particular case, Microsoft patched these vulnerabilities back in March and organizations who had an active patch management process and were able to get that patch pushed out to their equipment would not have been affected. So the organizations that were affected were those organizations that did not have a timely patch management process in place. So, Doug, that being said about the importance of patch management, what are the mistakes that you see organizations making in terms of keeping up to date with their patch management and keeping their software up to date overall? So one of the challenges organizations have is the frequency of patching, but it's also of getting the right information on the vulnerabilities. And in the case of WannaCry, it's having processes in place to communicate with industry sharing groups like the multi-state ISOC or the national healthcare ISOC so that you're getting timely information. So in this case, the patch was, was released in plenty of time for organizations to recognize and implement it. But even in the case for organizations that found themselves in the situation that they did not get their patches released in time, that active communication with the ISOCs is critical because what it would have allowed them to do was understand how that malware was functioning And there were a couple options that organizations could have taken or a couple paths they could have taken to stop the malware from actually activating. So one of those options were to create a what's referred to as a DNS sinkhole. So this malware reached out to a specific domain, and if it found it, it wouldn't execute. So organizations could have set up their internal DNS to point that to a web server in their environment so that the malware wouldn't have activated. The other thing that they could have done is set registry keys on all of their equipment because it was also checking for the existence of a registry key. So it's not just the the patch management itself, but it's having that data feed, that information from the ISOCs or from industry groups to give them the timely information on how they can mitigate 
the risk, even if they've already been impacted, or even if the malware has already entered their environment. So now, Doug, it's also been reported that a handful of U.S. hospitals using Windows-based medical devices were also impacted by WannaCry. What's your advice to healthcare entities regarding their medical devices being vulnerable to ransomware, especially if these devices are running legacy software like XP, which is not normally updated, although Microsoft did issue a special patch this time around? Well, as you know, Marianne, medical devices are are a challenge in themselves in that oftentimes organizations do not have the ability to patch them for one reason or another. And so the, the best advice is to restrict the capabilities from a networking standpoint of these devices, because after all, WannaCry was a worm. So it was spreading via network activity from one device to another. And so having some of those features turned off would have stopped the outbreak to medical devices. The other thing I advise organizations in healthcare is to segregate those medical devices from the rest of the network. So even if stuff is circulating in the main part of the network, that it would not have a path to get to the medical devices. So, Doug, a lot of organizations seem to be taken off guard with WannaCry. Is this the first time we've actually seen something like this hit organizations? Interestingly, Marianne, it's not. The vulnerabilities have existed in Windows for some time, and there was another variant of malware um, referred to as Adelkuz that actually came out a few weeks prior to WannaCry. Now, this is malware that's using the exact same exploits that WannaCry is, but it's using it for a completely different purpose. In this case, the malware is even more difficult to detect because the malware isn't implementing ransomware. So it's not doing anything that's visible to the user. In the case of this malware, it's actually using the computing power of the PC to mine cryptocurrency. And so the only thing the user is going to notice is that their PC may be acting slow. And so that's, again, why it's important to understand what those indicators are from these industry sharing groups so that you have an ability to detect this malware when it's on your system. Doug, besides the patching, and you mentioned the sinkhole sort of scenario, are there any other top lessons emerging from the WannaCry ransomware crisis, especially when it comes to attacks that spread quickly, that organizations should be keeping in mind in case something like this happens again? Yeah, there's a couple things I think organizations should should understand. So the WannaCry exploits that have been spreading in the wild these are these are exploits that were written by experts, right? So if you believe the the media in relation to WannaCry, this malware was written by the NSA. So highly sophisticated actors, highly sophisticated exploits, very resilient exploits, and they're not intended to be detected. So so you're dealing with a very advanced piece of malware. And the one thing organizations who are trying to stay ahead of the game are doing are investing in some of the more advanced 
malware detection capabilities in the market, whether it's cloud vendors, whether it's on-site products, and relying on some of these that are using machine learning and artificial intelligence-based capabilities to try and detect malware and prevent it from spreading. Now, aside from that, you know, it's going back to those basics. You know, we already mentioned patch management, but arguably backups are every bit as important. And knowing where your critical data is in your organization is also critically important. So in the event that the ransomware took hold of a system, the way to recover was to recover that off a backup. But if you have a good awareness of where those critical assets are, you may look at a system and say, there are no critical assets on this system, so we can just replace the operating system. We don't need to go through the exercise of restoring data. And so that knowledge of what information is in the environment and which information is critical and which is not, is very important to know in a situation where you're trying to recover from a breach situation or from a malware infection, because it's going to give you the priorities to address the most critical assets first. And Doug, any tips for organizations to ensure that they do indeed know where these critical assets are and how they should respond based on this knowledge? Some of the best things organizations can do are look at business impact assessments. So what I say is that culture of accountability and knowing where the assets are really needs to start at the management layer and work its way down in levels of detail. If you don't have management commitment, not only for data ownership, but going through the exercise of trying to identify it, it's going to be very difficult. Now, technology's come a long way. And for organizations who want to delve into that, there are software products, many of them in the marketplace today, that can do a pretty decent job of identifying critical information on various different platforms, in databases, on web servers, in file shares, on PCs. But the organization still has the responsibility to identify what critical information is. Because after all, these software products are going to go looking for specific types of information. And if you can't define what those are, you're stuck with generic information, such as looking for social security numbers or looking for driver's license numbers, which isn't going to identify some of that most critical intellectual property that an organization might have. Thanks, Doug. I've been speaking to Doug Copley. I'm Marianne Kolbesek-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.